Thank you for tuning into sermons from Liberty Baptist Church in Newport Beach, California. Our goal is to help you know God more and take the next step in your spiritual journey, no matter where you're at. If you have questions about God or about Liberty, you can connect with us at libertybaptistchurch.org. We pray that the Lord will use this message to be a help and encouragement in your life. Finish the statement for me tonight. You never get a second chance to make a first impression. We've heard that statement, right? Speaking of the power and importance of the way that we start something, someone once said, the secret to getting ahead is getting started. We talk often about the importance of a good start, and, and uh, some folks will say breakfast is the most important meal of the day, talking about getting your day off on the right foot. We all focus a lot on good starts to a career maybe, to a life, to work, a new job, and, and a good start. If a good start or first impressions were all that mattered, then Saul would have been the greatest king who ever lived. In this series on toxic leadership, as we study the life of Saul, tonight we're going to learn more about this man, and we're going to see the fact, and it's the title of the message tonight, that he had a good start. Saul had a good start, and if you haven't turned there yet, we're going to be in 1 Samuel 9. Last week, we were in the entire chapter of 1 Samuel 8. We looked at every verse in 1 Samuel 8 last week, and the message entitled was entitled, Be Careful What You Wish For. And we told you we're studying the life of King Saul, and we actually didn't really mention King Saul at all. We just uh, looked at how did we get here? How did we get to the place where we had a King Saul? How did Israel get to the place that they were asking for a king? What was it that led to that? Was it God's plan or not? And we, we saw last week that it was never God's plan for Israel to have a king. God was, it was a theocracy. God ruled the nation of Israel, and that's how it was supposed to be. They were supposed to be different, but there were multiple reasons, and they wanted something different. They wanted to be like everybody else, and, and for believers, for the children of God, it's a dangerous thing when we make decisions about our lives and our future because of what everyone else is doing, or we want to be like everyone else. Parents, be careful, even in, in, in raising children and teenagers and guiding them into the next step, that we don't allow a, a human mentality, a human human wisdom to creep in. Well, I want my kids to have, we, we should want our kids to do exactly what God wants them to do and to go exactly where God wants them to go and, and whatever that might look like. And for every child that might be different, but be careful that the goal isn't, we want to be like every other nation. We want, God wants us to be a peculiar people. Now I've heard that said that, 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 that justifies us being some kind of strange weirdos. God didn't call Christians to be strange weirdos. That's a, that's a set apart people. That's a, a unique people. That's a special people. God wants us to be peculiar. Now because we use the word peculiar to mean something strange, we've applied that. But if you study that, that word out in the context that it's used, it's not the idea of God wants us to be strange, but he does, there is supposed to be something separate set apart, sanctified is a Bible word for that about God's people. And, and so they got in some trouble because they were not that peculiar people. They wanted to be like all the other nations. 
We didn't look at anything about King Saul last week, and, and today is, tonight is kind of our introduction into bringing King Saul into the story. We're going to get soon into his reign, into his family, into his decisions, into some of the things. And I told you last week, the purpose for this series, every leadership, someone defined leadership as influence. If you have influence in somebody's life, that, that is a form of leadership. Now there is organizational leadership, and we talked about all of that last week. Uh, but for all of us, in the areas that God has given us influence, are we leading in biblically, scripturally healthy and scriptural, God-pleasing ways? Or are we leading in ways that are fleshly and, and carnal and toxic in our relationships? And so my goal is that we'll be able to identify some of these traits in King Saul's life, look at our own lives, and say, what's some of the toxic traits I've allowed into my life? And hopefully we can identify and improve, become more godly, biblical uh, Christians and, and leaders in our own lives. And then secondly, for us to be able to identify those that are influencing us and those that we have allowed influence and leadership into our lives, and to be able to look according to biblical, scriptural uh, principles and say, is that, is that person, is that a biblical influence, or is there some toxicity there that is not good for, for our lives, for our spiritual growth? And so today, this, tonight is our introduction to King Saul before he was King Saul, when he was just Saul. The events that led up to his anointing and his announcement as the first king of Israel. And we're going to walk through this passage in 1 Samuel 9. We're going to see some very admirable traits of Saul. And then we'll glean a few applications at the end to our lives. At the end, I'm going to give you three statements at the end of the message to take with us as we consider Saul's life. As we jump into the, the, the text I want you to see the attributes in King's life, King Saul's life at the start. And as you think about these things, I want you to think about what you know about King Saul. And does this sound like the same guy that you know of in a few chapters? And then we're going to talk a little bit and we'll see some as we continue to move through how, where and how he went wrong, getting away from some of these attributes. So I want to talk to us about a good start. What are the attributes? Let's jump into chapter 9, verse number 1. Now there was a man of Benjamin whose name was, what was his name, church? His name was Kish. So there's a guy, an Israelite of the tribe of Benjamin. His name is Kish. And the, the end of verse 1, it says he was a mighty man of power. Verse 2, and he had a son whose name was what? So at this point, and we're going to see here in a minute, the tribe of Benjamin was actually not the, not the most impressive, largest. It was actually kind of a, a small tribe. Was not, but there was a man of, of, of the tribe of Benjamin. His name was, was uh, Kish, and he had a son by the name of Saul. What does it say about, about uh, King Saul in verse number two? It says, Saul was a choice young man and a goodly. That's the idea of, of uh, somewhat the way that he looked, the way that he carried himself, his attributes. And there was not among the children of Israel a goodlier person than he. From his shoulders and upward, he was higher than any of the people. So what do we know about King Saul? We're, this is where he gets introduced to the, to, the God, to the Bible narrative. This is where King Saul gets introduced to us. What do we know about him? First thing I would say to you and the attributes of King Saul, the first one I see is he was pretty impressive. The Bible says he was a choice young man. If you were, you were looking, we need somebody to be a leader, somebody that's got the attributes, somebody that's somewhat impressive. The one that stood out was King Saul, was not King Saul, was Saul. 
This young man, he was a choice young man. He was goodly. The Bible says goodlier than the other. He stood head and shoulders above the rest. Where One of the places where we get that, that, uh, that, that turn of phrase that we use, that cliche, he stands head and shoulders above the rest, carrying along the idea of that guy, he's the cream of the crop. Well, that's, it comes from Saul here in 1 Samuel 9. He was impressive. Let's continue on in, in verse number 3. And the asses of Kish, Saul's father, were lost. And Kish said to Saul, his son, Take now one of the servants with thee, and arise, go seek the asses. And he passed through Mount Ephraim and passed through the land of Shalisha, but they found them not. Then they passed through the land of Shalim, and there they were not. And he passed through the land of the Benjamites, but they found them not. And when they were come to the land of Zuth, Saul said to his servants that was with him, Come and let us return, lest my father leave caring for the asses and take thought of us or for us. What do we see about King Saul? And we could, I didn't put this as a point, but you could say he was one that his father trusted when he had a job. Son, go do this. He was, he was a trustworthy son. But what I see here, an attribute of King Saul, is he was selfless. His dad says, hey, son, we've, and at that time, your, your crops, your animals, that was your, your, your life, your livelihood. Hey, son, we, we've got something wrong in the business. We lost some, some valuable assets. Can you go see where they are? And they went on this journey, several day journey. They're gone and trying to find them. They can't find them. And King Saul, what does he say? We need to get back because if not, my, my dad's going to stop worrying about the donkeys. He's going to start worrying about me. He's going to start worrying that we've died, that something bad has happened to us. And, and again, when we compare and contrast King Saul to this Saul, this, this Saul was a man that was not thinking only about himself. He was thinking about others. That's not going to be the Saul we're going to study in a little bit. Something changed, but here his, his concern was, I don't, want to, I don't want to worry my dad. I don't want to bring a burden to my dad. I don't want to hurt my family. Again, think about the King Saul that we know. He didn't care about hurting his family in some ways. But here, he's a man that says, we've got to get back because my, dad, uh, my dad's going to be, be concerned. Verse number six. And he said unto him, his, his servant said unto him, behold, now there is in this city a man of God. And he's an honorable man. All that he saith cometh surely to pass. Now let us go thither. Peradventure he can show us our way that we should go. So Saul says, hey, you know what? We lost the donkeys. At this point, my dad, he's going he's gonna to be scared to death. And we're going to cause more problems than the lost donkeys. We got to get back. And his servant said, you know what? I know in this city there's a man of God. It was Samuel, the prophet. There's somebody here. And whatever he says, it comes to pass. This guy knows God. This, this man is amazing. This, 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 the, the priest, uh, Samuel, let's go and see if we can find him and see what he says. He might know where our donkeys are. Verse number, uh, verse number uh, six, I'm sorry, seven. Then said Saul to his servant, but behold, if we go, what shall we bring the man? For the bread is spent in our vessels and there is not a present to bring to the man of God. What have we? And the servant answered Saul again, Saul again and said, Behold, I have here at hand the fourth part of a shekel of silver. That will I give to the man of God to tell us our way. Before time in Israel, when a man went to inquire of God, thus he spake, Come and let us go to the seer. For he that is now called a prophet was before time called a seer. So he just introduces it because they're going to call him a seer in a minute. That it wasn't some spooky, it was just the prophet of God. And what I see here with Saul is, again, number three, what's an attribute of, of when he's being introduced to us? He was respectful. Well, I don't know what we don't have any, we, that's not appropriate to go to somebody of his position. It would be disrespectful for us to go. We don't have any gift to bring to him. He was not worried about himself. He was worried about others. 
What would be the right thing to do? If we're going to go see the prophet, we're going to go see the priest, we're going to go see Samuel, we've got to bring him a gift. We don't have any gift. What are we going to do? So they figured that out. Notice verse number 10. Then said Saul to his servant, well said, come, let us go. Okay, we got a gift. Let's go. So they went into the city where the man of God was. And as they went up the hill to the city, they found young maidens going out to draw water and said unto them, is the seer here or the priest, the prophet? They answered them and said, he is. Behold, he is before you. Make haste now, for he came today to the city. For there is a sacrifice of the people today in the high place. And as soon as you come into the city, you shall go straightway. Uh, you shall straightway find him before he go up to the high place to eat. For the people will not eat until he come, because he doth bless the sacrifice. And afterwards they eat that be bidden. Now therefore get you up, for about this time you shall find him. And, and they went up into the city. And when they were come into the city, behold, Samuel came out against them for to go up to the high place. Number four, what do I see about Saul? He was, I, I wrote down here, he was spiritual. He was at least willing to consider what the prophet, the man of God, had to say. He was willing to seek his counsel and listen to it. By the way, we're going to see here later on in the coming weeks in Saul's life, he didn't care about what the prophet had to say. He didn't care about the prophet's timelines. He didn't care about, but here, his servant said, let's go talk to the, to the man of God. Let's go talk to the priest. Let's go talk to the prophet, the seer. And Saul could have said, if he had no spiritual desires, if he didn't have any respect for the things of God, he could have said, that's a bunch of hogwash. Well, how's that guy going to know where our, where our donkeys went? We know our donkeys better than him. We, we, we've called their names. We've walked through these mountains. How is he going to tell us, what are you talking about? But we see that this King Saul didn't know everything and believed that there were some spiritual influences that could help guide him. And he says, let's go. And so they come and they say, hey, is, is, is Samuel here? They said, it's your lucky day. He just got here today. He just got to town. And they're about to have sacrifices. Get in there quick because uh, if you don't get in there quick, he's going to go up and they're going to start eating and it's going to be a big festivity. You're going to have a hard time talking to him. Get in there. And as he walked in, there he was. They ran into each other. Notice verse number 15. Now the Lord had told Samuel in his ear a day before Saul came saying, tomorrow about this time I will send thee a man out of the land of Benjamin and thou shalt anoint him to be captain over my people Israel, that he may save my people out of the hand of the Philistines. For I have looked upon my people because their cry is come unto me. I see he was a young man of potential. God said, tomorrow, Samuel, you're going to meet somebody that's going to do great things for Israel. By the way, what a beautiful verse that reminds us of God's love and mercy. Because King Saul was actually a fruit of the rebellion of the people. They weren't supposed to have a king. But even in our failures, God still loves us and hears us. Now that doesn't justify being rebels against God, but what it does show us is that God still loves us. He said, I've heard the cry of my people. Even though they're asking for a king, and I'm not happy about that, I've heard the cry, and God has plans to use King Saul greatly. Look at verse 17, and we'll, we'll finish all this, and I don't have to be long tonight, but this is all by way of introduction, and then I'm going to give us a few thoughts on King Saul's life. Verse 17, and when Samuel saw Saul, the Lord said unto him, Behold, the man whom I spake to thee of, this same shall reign over my people. God said, Samuel, when Samuel saw him, here comes this guy, taller than everybody else, good looking, impressive. And he comes, he's walking up, and God says to Samuel, there he is. That's the king you're going to anoint. Verse number 18. Then Saul drew near to Samuel in the gate and said, Tell me, I pray thee, where the seer's house is. He doesn't know that he's talking to Samuel. 
Do you know where, where Samuel's staying at? Do you know where that, I'm looking for the prophet guy, the guy that he hears things from God and then he tells the people and it comes to pass. Do you know where that guy is? Do you know where he lives? Do you know where he's staying? I'd like to go over and see him. Verse 19, and Samuel answered Saul and said, I am the seer. Oh, fancy meeting you here. Go up before me unto the high place, for ye shall eat with me today, and tomorrow I will let thee go and will tell thee all that is in thine heart. And as for thine asses that were lost three days ago, set not thy mind on them, for they are found. And on whom is all the desire, and on whom is all the desire of Israel? Is it not on thee and on all thy father's house? That's a pretty heavy verse. Hey, you, you look like you kind of know what's going on around here. Excuse me, sir. You know where the prophet's at? I heard he's in town today. Yeah, that's me. Oh, well, good. You're the guy I want to talk to. I wanted to ask you, stop. Just head on up, get a seat where I'm sitting, where I'm eating today. You're going to eat with me. And oh, by the way, Saul hasn't even asked about his donkeys. Oh, by the way, those donkeys you've been looking for for three days, I'm going to tell you where they're at. I've got that under control. And then I'm going to tell you everything that's in your heart, all the things you're worried about and concerned about. And by the way, basically what he says is, um, the whole hope of, of Israel rests on your shoulders. Saul's so like, what? I was just looking for a few lost donkeys. What just happened? What, what's going on here? And, and we see as Saul is coming, his life is about to change. And here's this, this impressive, selfless, respectful, somewhat spiritual man, young man of potential. And his life's about to change. Notice another characteristic in verse 21. Would you read verse 21 together? 1 Samuel 9, verse 21 aloud. Ready? Begin. And Saul answered and said, Am not I a Benjamite of the smallest of the tribes of Israel, and my family the least of all the families of the tribe of Benjamin? Wherefore then speakest thou so to me? What do we see about Saul? He was a young man of humility. He says, doesn't, when you read that, doesn't it sound like Gideon? It's amazing how the mightily used people of God are often those that don't think much of themselves. By the way, the Bible says, God resisteth the proud, but he giveth grace to the humble. God is looking for people that say, it's not me, it's not my strength, it's not my talent, it's not my skill, but God, whatever I, the, 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 the filthy rags that I have, I give them to you, and you can you do what you want to with them. And, and he says, his response to that, hey, go up and sit with me, and we're gonna have lunch. His response to that is, I think you got the wrong guy. I, I don't know what's going on here. I just got to town. This doesn't sound like the right thing. I'm of the smallest tribe, and if you were to come to our small tribe that nobody cares about, our family is like the least of the whole tribe. You couldn't find a, a more unimpressive family to be, to be bringing up to eat with you and the stuff you're talking about, all the hope of Israel. And, and here it is, Saul. And again, those of you that know the story of King Saul, I can't help but, but think about just a few chapters later in chapter 15, what is Samuel going to tell Saul? He's going to say, when thou wast little in thine own sight, God blessed you and anointed you and used you when you were nobody, but now you've gotten lifted up in pride and he's going to take the kingdom from you. By the way, when, when we are when, when we are understand who we are. I talked about with Isaiah today, who he is, holy, 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 who I am, a man of unclean lips. God says, there's someone I can use. When we start, to, when we start reading our own press, yeah, I, I am pretty impressive, aren't I? 
I'm, I'm pretty good at that, and I'm a pretty good singer, and I'm a pretty good, uh, I'm, I've got a pretty, pretty good personality. I'm pretty successful in business, and I've, I've done pretty well for myself financially, and look at what have I, I've achieved, and look at who I am, and look at my family. And when we start doing that, that is, generally speaking, the beginning of the end, at least in our usefulness in God's sight. He was humble. Look at verse 22. And Samuel took Saul and his servant and brought them into the parlor and made them sit in the chiefest place among them that were bidden, which were about 30 persons. When I read the Bible, I love to try to put myself in it. I picture this guy from this unknown kid named Saul, this unknown young man named Saul, walking into town. He literally has been walking for three days. He was looking for donkeys. He was getting ready to go home. His servant said, I heard there's a priest that knows a whole bunch of stuff. Let's go talk to him. He gets there, and this guy now says, and he's in the chief place. Everybody's there. They're getting ready. And he's looking around like, how did I get here? What is going on? And, and he's, he's worried about which fork to use and which, which napkin goes in his lap and, and what's the soup spoon and all of those things. And and he comes to verse, look at verse number 23. And Samuel said unto the cook, bring the portion which I gave thee of which I said unto thee, set it by thee. And the cook took up the shoulder. I think that's, that may be in the, in the Hebrew. That's the tri-tip slider there that's after church tonight. The cook took up the shoulder and that which was upon it and set it before Saul. And Samuel said, behold, that which is left. I set it before thee and eat, for unto this time hath it been kept for thee, since I said I have invited the people. So Saul did eat with Samuel that day. And when they were come down from the high place into the city, Samuel communed with Saul upon the top of the house. And they arose early, and it came to pass about the spring of the day that Samuel called Saul to the top of the house, saying, Up, that I may send thee away. And Saul arose, and they went out both of them and Samuel abroad. I want you to see we're almost done. I'm going to just read a few more verses into chapter 10, and, and that'll be where we'll be for our, our passage today, and then I'll give you a few applications. But I want you to see in, in verse 27, and as they were going down to the end of the city, Samuel said to Saul, bid the servant pass on before us. What are the next four words? And he passed on. I want you to see that. But stand thou still a while that I may show thee the word of God. Stay here. Uh, your servant can go home. You need to stay here. Then Samuel took a vial of oil and poured it upon his head and kissed him and said, Is it not because the Lord hath anointed to be, thee to be captain over his inheritance? Again, I have to imagine Saul is thinking, What is going on? What are you talking about? He's pouring oil over him. He, verse 2, when thou art departed from me today, when thou shalt find two men by Rachel's sepulcher in the border of Benjamin and Zelzah, and they will say unto thee, the asses which thou wentest to seek are found, and lo, thy father hath left the care of the asses, and sorroweth for you, saying, what shall I do for my son? Then shalt thou go on forward from thence, and thou shalt come to the plain of Tabor, and there shall meet thee three men going up to God, to Bethel, and one carrying three kids, and another carrying three loaves of bread, and another carrying a bottle of wine, and they will salute thee and give thee two loaves of bread, which thou shalt receive of their hands. I picture Saul like, what's, now what, I don't know about you, when I get directions from somebody back before GPS, like, what was that again? Okay, right there and left there. So I'm supposed to go here and there's a guy, okay, I'm looking for three, I'm getting three, three kids and, and three loaves of bread or two, what is it again? He's writing it all, here's where you're gonna go, you're gonna go there, verse five. And after that, thou shalt come to the hill of God, where's the garrison of the Philistines? And it, it shall come to pass when thou art come thither to the city that thou shalt meet a company of prophets coming down from the high place with a psaltery and a tabret and a pipe and a harp before them and they shall prophesy and the spirit of the Lord will come upon thee and thou shalt prophesy with them and shalt be turned into another man and let it be when these signs are come unto thee that thou do as occasion serve thee for God is with thee 
And thou shalt go down before me to Gilgal. And behold, I will come down unto thee to offer burnt offerings and to sacrifice sacrifices of peace offerings. Seven days shalt thou tarry till I come to thee and show thee what thou shalt do. And it was so that when he had turned his back to go from Samuel, God gave him another heart. And all those signs came to pass that day. And when they came thither to the hill, behold, a company of prophets met him and the Spirit of God came upon him and he prophesied among them. What do I see? And we could pull out other characteristics, but the last one I'll give you tonight. As a young man, at a start, he was obedient. He did what the Spirit of God led him to do. He listened to the Word of God. He listened. And sometimes we as pastors, we can, we can manipulate and say, you know, basically anything we say is the oracles of God. That's not the case. I'm, I'm a, a man. But he listened to the words of the man of God. And again, sometimes pastors have used that to, to manipulate and control people's lives that's not what I mean by that, but God does give us spiritual leaders, and if we're preaching the truths of God as God's people, we ought to listen. And that is what Samuel did. I'm Saul did. When he heard the word of God and the spirit of God, God gave him another heart, and God's spirit was on him. We're going to see later on where God's spirit is removed from him. God's spirit was on him, and, and when he listened to the words of the man of God and, and allowed that to help guide his life, what do we see that in the Bible? By the way, he started, he was able to do things he didn't think he could do. A few verses before in, in chapter 9, what did he say? I'm nobody. I'm the least. My family's the least of the smallest tribe. And now what's he doing? He's standing up, having been anointed by, by, by uh, uh, Samuel. And what is he doing? He's prophesying now. God's given him another heart. God has opened a new door of life and service and ministry. Skip down to chapter 10. Let's read the last verse. Chapter 10, verse 24. Let's read this. This will be the last verse that we look at here. Would you read it aloud with me? Ready? Begin. And Samuel said to all the people, See ye him whom the Lord hath chosen, that there is none like him among all the people. And all the people shouted and said, God save the king. Sound like a good start, church? Yes or no? Pretty good start. Selected by God, blessed by the man of God, obedient to the words of God. He was an impressive young man externally. God had given him a good heart, the spirit of God. He was selfless, thought of others. He was respectful, what was appropriate for certain situations. He was a spiritual young man. He had a man of great potential. He was a humble man. Sounds like a great start. And in the coming weeks, again, last week and this week, really some introduction to kind of bring us in to understand who we're studying in the coming weeks, we're going to get into some of the ugly details of Saul's life, of his family, of his actions. As we study the events of the years that would follow this chapter we just read today. But for now, what do we have? We have an impressive, selfless, thoughtful, respectful, spiritual young man with great potential who was humble and obedient and on the right track. We know the end, and we're going to study some of it. What can we glean for our lives today? And here's the message. I don't need to be long. I'm going to give you three statements. What can we glean from this today? Number one, a good start is good. A good finish is better. A good start is good. A good finish is better. And may I say, church family, if you can only choose one, choose a good finish. Here's the reality that is actually the only choice that is within our power at this point. We cannot, 
We cannot make up for whether our start in life or our start as a Christian or our start as, as a mom or a dad or a family member or whatever it was. We cannot go back in time. We cannot control the start we were given or the start that we had because of our own choices. We can only control how we will finish from this day forward. A good start is good, but a good finish is better. This is true in every area of our lives. And by the way, a good start, we'll get to it in a minute, but a, a good start doesn't guarantee a good finish. And, and I'll, I'll get to that point here in a minute. But, but in our careers, how many Ivy League graduates, college graduates have gone on to ruin their lives or find themselves destitute? And how many high school dropouts have gone on to great business success? A good, I'm not against getting a good college degree or a master's degree or whatever God leads you to do. A good start can be good in our careers, but a good finish is better. More important than where we've been is what we're going to do from this day forward. In relationships, how many people have started out with, with that picture-perfect life and that maybe that picture-perfect honeymoon or that wedding that cost tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of dollars only to see those relationships crumble? And how many maybe went to the justice of the peace or had the simplest start go on to live a life of love for 40 or 50 or 60 years and longer in Christianity? How many children were born into the church in Sunday school every week? 13 years of Christian education choose to walk away from God, giving him no thought in their lives for their futures. And then how many have never stepped foot in a Christian school as a student? Didn't find Christ until their 20s or 30s or 40s. And yet they have gone on, and some in this room, faithfully living for God decades later today. Oh, I'm thankful for those children that have been born into the church. I'm thankful for the teenagers that I see sitting in different sections all over that your parents have, have brought you up in Sunday school and they have you here today two times on a Sunday, Sunday morning and Sunday night. And, and, and for some, they've made a decision to place you into a Christian school or whatever it might be. I'm thankful for the good start you've been given and that's a blessing, but a good finish is far better and far more important in your life. A good start is good. By the way, those that got saved later in life in their 20s or 30s or later would tell you they wish they had the good start that some of you kids have had. They wish they had some of that and, and what you view in your life as, ah, this is, ah, why do we have to do this and why do I have to go there and why, why, and they say, man, I wish I would have had that. But the reality is a good start is good, but way more important is how are you going to finish? How are you going to take what's been invested into your life and live it for God? Sometimes, Christian, we allow our lack of a good start in some area to convince us that a good finish is out of our reach. Well, I didn't have that head start that so-and-so had. I didn't grow up in that kind of family. I didn't know about the Bible and those things till I was older. I didn't grow up as a Christian. I, I have that regret, and I've made that mistake, and I've messed up there, and I, I have that scar and that failure in my past. And because of that, because of the, what we feel has been maybe a bad start in our lives, we, we then allow that to define our future for God. My whole future is bleak. I want to say tonight, church family, a good start is good, but a good finish is better and you can't control what has happened to this point forward but you can control how you finish because I'm going to let you in on a little secret if you're here tonight you're not finished yet 
And Satan loves to condemn you and say, look at what you've done. You've messed it up. You can't fix that and you can't get over that and that will never be right and you can't, you can't make up for that and, and God couldn't use you in that way because how, how could somebody do something like that? And we allow our past to, to convince us that God could never use us in our future. By the way, church, you say, well, is there anybody in the Bible that kind of had that bad start, that had some regrets, that had some mistakes, that had some failures and God used them in great ways? You don't have to go any farther than the man that had the exact same name as this guy, but in the New Testament. He wasn't King Saul. He was the Apostle Saul. Well, he started as Persecutor Saul. He sure didn't have a good start in the things of God, in the things of Christ. And yet what did he have a terrible start, but what did he have? He had a great finish. He's the one that says, I have fought a good fight. I have kept the faith. I have finished my course. Which Saul would you rather be? The good start and bad finish? And by the way, if you can have a good start and a good, I think I mentioned this morning of, of Brother Leonard Young, and he would tell you that if he were here today, that I'm sure he had some regrets and some mistakes and some failures in his life. But a good start and a good finish is the best case scenario. There was a man that was born into the nursery of a Bible-believing church in Long Beach as a, his family brought him up all the way through. And when he went to heaven, uh, he, he went to heaven this morning having been a faithful Christian, not a perfect Christian, but a faithful Christian his entire life. But if that's not your story, which one would you rather be? King Saul, good start, bad finish? Or bad start, good finish? What did, what, did, what did the Apostle Paul say? He said about his life, forgetting those things which are, talk to me church, are what? Behind. Forgetting those things which are behind. Reaching forth into those things which are before I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. I'm going forward for God. I'm not looking back with regret. I'm not looking back with pride. Look at the good things I've done. Look at the bad things I've done. I'm not looking. What am I doing? I'm pressing toward the mark. I have a place that I want to go. I want God to be able to say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. I, what did he say in another place? But none of these things move me that, so that I I might finish my course with what? Joy. That was, my, that was Paul's passion. I don't just want to have, have known God and served him for a year or five or 10 or 20. I don't just want to have planted a few churches and reached a few thousand people. I don't just want God to have used me here. Not as though I had already attained. I haven't, I haven't finished this course. Neither were already perfect, he said. I haven't finished yet, but I'm trying to finish right. And my passion, my plea with you this evening, Christian, is to ask God to give you a burden, teenager, to give you a passion that you won't just have a few good years of, of growing up in the church or adult Christian that you served God in your 20s or your 30s or your 40s or your 50s or your 60s or 70s and then walked away at the end before God called you home. No, that you and I would be faithful unto death. You know the story of the Olympic marathon runner from Tanzania. That story in the 60s, he went and had the, 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 the fall and the injury. It took him way longer than everyone else and what did he say? My country did not send me 5,000 miles to start the race. They sent me 5,000 miles to what? Finish the race. God wants us to finish the race he's called us to. Saul had a great start. Christian, take your eyes off of your past and keep your eyes on the finish line. I have finished my course. That is the goal, not just a good start. Not only... Not only do I see a good start is good, but a good finish is better. Number two, I see a good start is no guarantee of a good finish. A good start is no guarantee of a good finish. 
Good men can and do go bad. Good churches can corrupt. Good Christians can apostatize. Don't rest on past victories, on past accomplishments, or on past success. Good families, good godly Christian families can have nothing to do with God in the course of a short period of time. As a dad, as a mom, as a friend, as a Christian, a good start is not enough. A good finish requires daily victories. What did Paul say? I die daily. Every day I wake up and say, God, I need you today. One of the reasons I believe that Paul was able to finish with joy and to finish hearing well done from God was because of the fact that he understood I have to win these victories with God's strength every day in my life. In your marriage, in ministry, in relationships, in careers, a good finish requires daily victories. Complacency and pride are the enemies of this, and they'll lead us to bad finishes. Bad decisions can destroy a great start. Young people that, that your parents are passionate. The fact, if there are any young people under 18 that are in church tonight, the fact that you're here is an indicator that someone in your life wishes and wants for you, and maybe it's you in your life, wants you to, to have a good finish, to grow to know God, to love God, to live for God for a lifetime. But bad decisions in your life can destroy a great start. How many times have we seen it happen? A young person, a middle-aged person, an older person that had a great run, if you will, and got off track, went the wrong direction. I was thinking about this week as I thought about King Saul, where he started so well and ended so poorly. I thought about, I enjoy sports, I thought about a young man who was drafted in the first round of the 2004 NBA draft. His name is Delonte West. He played, I think it's St. John's in New York. First round, he, he made it to the peak of his profession. If you make it in the NBA, you're in the top fraction of 1% of the best basketball players on the planet of seven plus billion people. You have made it to the peak of your profession. To be drafted in the first round, he was the 24th overall draft pick, is an even higher accomplishment. He played nearly a decade. He played with and against some of the greatest players to ever play the game. His professional career spanned about a decade, and in salary, not to mention any other endorsements, he made about $14 million. That's not a bad decade's work, Steve, is it? Take me and you a couple decades to get there, but he did it in about a decade. $14 million. And that was not counting any endorsements. He played in front of tens of thousands of fans screaming and cheering his name. Here's a picture of him in 2020. He has struggled with addictions, with mental health disorders. I don't say this gleefully. He's been homeless for quite some time now. He's been seen panhandling. He's been in and out of rehab. He's penniless. In January, that picture on the left was a video somebody caught as a homeless. He was the homeless man, and somebody was beating him up on the streets of Dallas. This was a man that would walk into stadiums, and tens of thousands would cheer, had millions in his bank account, had made it to the peak of his career. Just last month, he was picked up from a gas station in Texas by Mark Cuban. Mark Cuban's the owner of the Dallas Mavericks. Delonte West had played for Mark Cuban at one point, and he was picked up from a gas station. He was, he was on drugs, and Mark Cuban vowed to try to help him get the help that he needs. How does that happen, a multimillionaire professional athlete to a homeless, mentally ill drug addict? Obviously, there are a variety of reasons, but the power of sin and the destruction of daily choices 
that lead us down a wrong path. By the way, something like that happens in private far before it ever happens in public. In your life and in mine, decisions of regret and destruction in our lives, they happen in private that where no one sees it far beyond, far before the public shame and the public example is made. Stories like that, Delonte West, could be told in politics, a good start and a shameful finish. They could be told in business, a great start and a shameful businessmen, CEOs, multimillionaires landing in jail for decades. They could be told in families, you know of people and I know of people, unfortunately. They could be told of churches, Stories like this, anywhere that you find humans, we can find good starts that completely unravel. And sometimes we see a Christian that we respected who destroy their lives in some terrible way. And we think, I wonder how that happened. May I just say, it's almost never just one decision or one event. I heard it said one time regarding the big blowups of, of disgraceful, shameful things, whether it's in, in Christianity, in churches, in politics, and wherever. I heard it said before, there are no blowouts in the Christian life only slow leaks small decisions that lead us we we get involved in that relationship we shouldn't get involved we start sending that text message we shouldn't send we start watching that video online we shouldn't watch we download that app that we shouldn't download we we listen to that entertainment that we shouldn't listen to we get involved in the priorities of making uh, our priority of pleasure or finances more important than God and his work and his service and these small decisions and then lastly let me finish it up Number three, toxic leaders can start well. This is a cautionary tale for for all of us. We see King Saul as this terrible leader at the end. He started well. So you know what that means? But for the grace of God, there go I. Toxic leaders can start well. Godly leaders finish well. So here's the challenge to you this evening. How will you finish? If you're still here, you're not finished. Your final story isn't written yet. Don't let it be like King Saul. He started so well. Don't let it be said, she started so well. She was right where God wanted her to be and then, and by the way, you say, so when I mess up, does that mean that I didn't finish well? No, that means you stumbled in the middle. We all stumble in the middle. We all have mistakes and faults and failures and regrets and things that we messed up or we hurt someone or someone hurt us. We all have those things. But the question is, how are we going to finish in spite of those things? Church family, walk with God. Stay humble. Stay obedient. Stay selfless. He was doing, Saul was, great things for God. And then it crumbled. Teenager, don't let it be said that your parents gave you a good start. Let it be said that you stayed faithful unto death. Christian marriages, let us not just have a good start. Let us show the love of Christ uh, to the church until death do us part. Church members, don't let people say, remember when so-and-so used to be so in love with God and so on fire for God. Let them say he fought a good fight. He finished his course. He kept the faith. Christian, don't follow the path of Saul in the Old Testament. Follow the path of Saul who became Paul in the New Testament. I leave you tonight with this passage. Paul, in talking to the church at Corinth, he had gotten, they had gotten off track in some ways. Paul had this to say in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Would you put that first passage up there? Moreover, brethren, I would not that you should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and passed through the sea. And we're all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and did all eat the same spiritual meat, and did all drink the same spiritual drink, 
Read, see that last, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was who, church? What is that passage saying? He's talking to the church. By the way, Christ, Christ was in the Old Testament. Christ is all through the Old Testament. He's saying, church at Corinth, I don't want you to be like your fathers. And what did your fathers do? They had a great start. God delivered them. Picture of salvation. Delivered them out of Egypt. God brought them through the Red Sea. God, the, the miracles God miraculously provided for them. They, they had great victory in their life. Your fathers had a great start. Next passage, if you will. But with many of them, God was not well pleased. Why? For they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things were our examples to the intent we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. Neither be idolaters as were some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Neither let us commit fornication as some of them committed and fell in one day three and 20,000. Neither let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed of serpents neither murmur ye as some of them also murmured and were destroyed of the destroyer. What did he say? Don't be like King Saul. They had a great start and what happened? They all destroyed their lives. How did they do it? With wrong decisions, fleshly decisions, looking at what's for me, my pleasure, my play, my, my, my sinful lusts, what's going to make my life feel better. And they said they got their focus on themselves instead of their focus on what God had for them. And what did he say? Those that had such a good start, church at Corinth, beware. And he said, these were for our example. You started following God and God did great things for you. He opened the Red Sea. But before you know it, you weren't living for God. You were living for yourself. And then the last passage. Now all these things happen unto them for examples. And they are written for our admonition. Upon whom the ends of the world are come. Wherefore let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. Would you read that sentence with me aloud? Starting with wherefore. Ready, begin. Wherefore let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. There is no temptation taken you. But such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you're able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that ye may be able to bear it. In context, what is Paul telling the church at Corinth? He said, your fathers, God gave them a great start. They destroyed their lives with sinful, fleshly, worldly, pleasure-filled decisions. And he said, these were written for our example. While you're walking for, living for God, while you're walking with God, Christians at Corinth, Corinth, while you're trying to fulfill God's plan for your life, guess what's going to happen? There are going to be some temptations that come into your life that get you off track. There are going to be some things that come into your heart, some relationships, some, for, some, some temptations for physical uh, pleasure, for lust, for, for, for adding to yourself uh, material goods, eating and drinking and play. He said those things are coming, but what does he say? There is no temptation that's taken you that such as is common to man. God, what is he saying? God can can give you the strength to finish well. They started well. They finished wrong. Some of them, not all of them. He said some of them in Corinthians. But God can help you finish well. We see with Saul, we're going to get into some of his leadership traits in the coming weeks. But what we see here to start with was a good start. In your life and in mine, 
A good start is no guarantee of a good finish. A good start is good, but a good, a, a good finish is better. And toxic leaders can have a good start. You say, well, I'm doing well right now. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. But God can give you the strength to resist those temptations and to stay faithful to God for a lifetime. Godly leaders finish well. Church, I guess my plea to you today is, whether you're an elementary student, a teenager, a single, a young, young married, middle-aged, senior citizen, my challenge and plea to all of us is, let's do our best to finish well. Thank you for listening to Messages from Liberty. Tune in next week for more Bible teaching or subscribe on iTunes to stay up to date with our current series.